We're going to talk about having the eyes of God this morning. What do you see when you look at the world? Our brother read uh, a few minutes ago from Genesis chapter 1. And it's an interesting story what happens here. God made this whole world. And each time that he created something, he would stop and he would say, you know, God saw that it was good. But at the very end, when he'd made everything and he'd finished his work, he says, God saw that all that he had made and it was very good. That's pretty cool. When you and I know that God created the world and all that is here and he looked at it and he said that it is very good, that's a comforting thought. The only challenge with that is simply this. There was a period of time when God kind of uh, had second thoughts about creating us because we became a very, very evil group of people. And it was so bad that he decided, I'm going to wipe them all out. And he caused the flood to come and he caused all of the things in the world to basically be recreated in a sense. And that's my word, not the Bible word. But he kind of recreated everything. And, and he saved a handful of folks on the ark and here we are. But I still think when God sees us, he says, it's very good. And I say that simply because I know when I read verses of scripture like this one in 2 Peter chapter 1, God has given us a part of his spirit. He's given us a part of his glory. And because of that, he looks at us and he sees us as being good. He wants us to make every effort to add to our faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge the self-control and to that perseverance and godliness and godliness, mutual affection. And most importantly, he wants us to have love. And if we have those in increasing measure that he's called us to have, he looks at us and he says, it is very, very good. Or we look at the passage in Exodus 34 that we've considered before where he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. The glory of God is a part of us and it is very, very good. That's what God has called us to be. He's called us to see the good that's in the world. So what do you see when you look into this world? When you look at the world, can you look at the world through the eyes of God? Can you see people as Jesus saw people? In this morning's adult Bible class, we spent a few minutes talking from the book of Mark about Jesus as he uh, had this rich young ruler come to him. And the rich young ruler said, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? The only one good is God. And Jesus goes on to explain to the young man the things that he needs to do to inherit eternal life. But when Jesus saw the young man, the one thing that stood out in that story to me as I was reading it again, preparing for that lesson this morning, was the fact that when Jesus looked at this young man, he loved him. He knew the challenges that the young man was facing. He knew the young man's heart. Hence the answer that Jesus gave him on what to do to be saved. But the most important thing was Jesus loved him. And it was good. When you look at people, what do you see? The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, who with unveiled faces, reflect the Lord's glory, being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How much are you being able, more and more as the days pass, how much are you able to see people as God and Jesus see people? That's what I want to talk with you about a few minutes this morning. Because how we see things is important. The way you look at things is important. The way that you see people is important. And your ability to either interact or not interact with them. To have a good conversation or not to have a conversation with them. How do you see people? You see this little diagram here. We all know advertising. Fifth Avenue, New York City. They throw all this advertising at us. And someone created this wonderful little uh, ad for 
30, Baskin's 31s, but many of us never saw the 31 in the middle of the ad because we didn't see it. We just saw the ice cream. Now, personally, I just looked for the ice cream. Really, my favorite is frozen yogurt. I just got to confess because the ice cream is too fattening. Not. I like either one of them just equally. And then you look at some of these ads. Look at the word twins there with that little two turned sideways. But if you don't notice it, it looks like an N because that's just kind of what we see because we see the word twins. And the little Kohler Zoo, if you look carefully at the feet of the elephant, you'll see that there is a rhinoceros and a giraffe built into that emblem there. And we see things, but we don't see things. And we look at people, it's the same way. We look at people, what we don't really see people sometimes. We just see them, but we don't see them. And I dare say that there was ever a time when Jesus looked at someone, he didn't really see them for who they are. Jesus always saw people in the way that he needed to see people, which is in the eyes and in the spirit of God. And sometimes it's puzzling to us when we think about the words of Jesus. It's puzzling to us when we, when we see Jesus come to someone like the rich young ruler and he makes the statement, well, you need to go sell everything that you have. Well, the young man didn't ask what I need to do with my money and my stuff. He said, how do I inherit life, inherit, inherit eternal life? How do I have salvation? Jesus says, go sell everything and give it to the poor. How about that for a statement of conversion? In the churches of Christ, our statement of conversion typically goes like this. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, right? That's kind of what our tradition has been. How about if we change and we say, go ahead, sell everything you have and give it to the poor? Any of you want to join the church? Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Years ago, when Lynn and I lived in Montgomery, Alabama, I used to travel up to Huntsville. It was about a three and a half or four hour ride. And I used to go up in the afternoon, work up there in the afternoon, come back late at night. Well, I met a young man who lived in Birmingham, Alabama. He worked at a convenience store gas station that I frequented often because of the trip back and forth. And I would stop there either for gas or something to drink just to break up the trip. And I met this young man and I walked in one night and he was listening to Christian music on the radio which I found a little interesting for a young man working at a 7-Eleven to be doing it 2 o'clock in the morning because that was about that time of the morning when I drove in. And I asked him, I said, why are you listening to that? He's like, well, I'm a Christian. I said, help me understand, what does that mean to you? He said, well, he said, the reality is for years I was a member of this cult called the Children of God. And if you know anything about cults, you know they can have you do some wild and crazy things. He said, I used to stand on the street corner and sell flowers. He said, I could make four, five, six hundred bucks a day selling flowers on the street corner. He said, now I'm working here and making minimum wage. He said, it is so tempting to go back to the cult. He said, but I want you to know I found Jesus. Amen. And he found him in the right way because he saw Jesus in the right way. You and I have an opportunity to look at people. FedEx, wonderful emblem, but did you ever see the arrow in the name FedEx? There's a reason that arrow was put there. When you and I see things, do we really see them for what they are? When you and I see Jesus, when we see the people that God has put us in front of on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, do we see them the way that Jesus would want us to see them or do we just see them? When you look at these people, what do you see? The wonderful couple there on the left. This was supposed to have animation built into it. Mike, the animation didn't work. These pictures weren't all supposed to pop up at once. It's supposed to be animation here, but that's okay. So when you see this little couple here, what do you see? This is a wonderfully happily married couple. 
The little girl there, she has no hair. Maybe a cancer patient. What do you see when you see them? When you look at these pictures, who do you see? When you see people, what do you really see? Do we have the eyes of God? Because I'm telling you, when God looks at these people, he doesn't just see a person sleeping under a bridge. He doesn't just see a person who seems to be desolate sitting on the side of the road. He doesn't see a woman who's kind of staring up into space wondering what might be going on or thinking about something. When God sees them, he sees those with whom he seeks to have relationship. And he sees those with whom he seeks to have friendship. And he sees those with whom he would like to spend all of eternity with. Because the desire of God's heart is not that any should perish, but that all, all should come to repentance. And the challenge that you and I face is that we go through life so busy sometimes we don't see people. We never see them. At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts where the people had gathered. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses were commanded to stone such people. Now what do you say? Now, they were asking this question to trap them in order that they could have a basis for accusing Jesus. So Jesus bent down and he started to write with his finger on the ground. And when they kept on questioning, he straightened up. And he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who had heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still there. And Jesus asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned thee? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I've known people who messed up. Have you? This might be some of you. Because we're not all perfect. I've seen people who've done terrible things. And if we're not careful, we'll look at them through the eyes of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who said, the book says kill them. And Jesus says, he who's without sin cast the first stone. You know, sometimes in church history, we've been the first to shoot our wounded. We have. 
Let's just be honest. We've been the first to shoot our wounded. When someone does something, we're quick to say, you shouldn't do that. I remember on more than a few occasions, I've heard of ministers making some horrible decisions and doing some very bad things with someone of the opposite sex, and all of a sudden, they can't preach anymore. Or we've had someone in the church do something that's terrible, and all of a sudden, we won't let them lead a prayer anymore, or we won't let them do things anymore. And it's not because they haven't repented. They have repented, but because we're holding it over them, and we just want to see what kind of person they're really going to be, we wait. A long time before we'll ever trust them again to do whatever. Would it be too much for us to see people as Jesus sees them? A wounded reed I will not break, a smoldering wick I will not put out. How much is enough? When is too little? Too little. Is not good enough really ever not good enough? God said a wounded weed I will not break and a smoldering wick I'll not snuff out. And I am very happy that I am not God. But I sure do wish that I had his discernment and wisdom sometimes when it comes to figuring out how to help people. Especially those who seem to consistently look like bruised reeds and smoldering wicks and who make some pretty bad choices. And I know I'm not alone in having these feelings because the person who brushed your teeth this morning and combed your hair has probably had the same thoughts. It's a gentleman I knew who was living on a boat. Living aboard in Southern California is kind of a dream for some people. Only a handful of us are crazy enough to ever do it, though. But he was living his dream and as would have it in his life, oftentimes his dreams turned into nightmares because of decisions and choices that he would make in life. And this time was no different. The economy had kind of fallen through the floor. Some of you remember 2007 and 8 and all of the things that were happening here in Southern California. Work was difficult for an unskilled laborer. Food and other essentials of life had become pretty scarce and resorting to picking up cans and empty water bottles and things was about the only thing he had to survive. Life had become pretty ugly. I received a phone call from him one afternoon and he shared with me, he said, Ed, he said, I just got a phone call from the marina and if I don't come up with a certain amount of money, and I forget the amount of money, but it was into the thousands of dollars, if I don't come up with the money within the next couple of days, they're going to lean my boat, they're going to lock it up, and they're going to kick me out of the marine, and I have nowhere to go. Can you help me? And I didn't have an extra amount of cash. I couldn't just pay the bill. And I'm not even sure that just paying the bill would have been the right thing to do. So we made some phone calls, a lot of them. We found someone who would be willing to buy the boat. So we 
did the appropriate paperwork and kind of got him out of his jam and the purchaser said, I'll give you a few days to move your things off the boat and I had agreed to deliver the boat to Marina Del Rey from Dana Point. So the afternoon that I was to take the boat up, I show up at the marina and everything that he owned was still on the boat. And I mean everything. It was as if he never had sold it and nothing was changing in his life and life would just go on. And I looked for over three hours for this guy, trying to find him to help him figure out what we were going to do with this stuff. And finally, after having no luck finding him, I decided it was time to go because I had a long sail ahead of me. And so I pulled out of there about one o'clock in the afternoon. And about 4.30 or 5 o'clock that afternoon, I got a frantic phone call from him. He said, Ed, the boat's gone. Someone stole the boat. All my stuff is gone. And I said, your stuff is not gone. It's in safe hands. I have it all. He's like, what do you mean I have it all? I said, I have the boat. I have to deliver it. Today's the day I had to deliver it. I tried to look for you for three hours and you were nowhere to be found. What's up? He's like, well, I was out. Well, he had excuse after excuse. He said, but you have my stuff. I said, yeah, I know I have your stuff. I have everything. It's all here on the boat with me. He's like, no, no, no. He said, you have my stuff. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? He's like, you have the stuff that I was going to sell to make enough money to pay the guy back so I wouldn't lose my boat. And I'm like, what kind of stuff are you talking about? And he told me. There's this white powdery stuff in bags. And if you have enough of it, you can get 15 years to serve seven. And I'm having this conversation on a mooring ball in front of the Harbor Patrol in Newport Beach. And if they'd had a really good dog, I'd have gone to jail that day with his stuff. I later found out it probably would have been enough to give you a life sentence because he had a lot of stuff on that boat. I finally did get the boat delivered. And with the help of my wife, he came and he picked up his things. And he took all that he could carry and he put it in a duffel bag. And we gave him a ride. And he left. And we left the boat. The next day, I went back in to clean up the things that he had left because it was kind of a mess. And I didn't want to leave the mess for the new owner. But one of the things that he had left on the boat was a CD player. And I like to listen to music like anyone. And so I pushed the play button. And this song was there. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone. I've been set free, my God, my Savior died for me, like a flood, mercy came, brings unending love, amazing grace, 
and I lost it. A bruised reed I will not break. And a wounded, smoldering wick I will not snuff out. How much is enough? When is too little, too little? You see, when you and I look at people, my fear is that we don't see people the way Jesus sees people. We just see people as a means to get wherever it is we're trying to get to and to do whatever it is we're trying to do. And the only difference between me and him is really a few decisions that were made in his life that keep putting him in a bad way. And it's not a lot of decisions. It's not thousands and thousands of decisions. It's just a handful of decisions that he made in his life that caused him to be in the mess that he's in. And I'm no different. The consequences might be slightly different at times, but I'm no different. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones or if they use hay or wood or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day of judgment will bring it to light. And it'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if it, what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet be saved as one escaping through the flames. There's not much difference in me and him. My question is, can we see people through God's eyes? Can we see them the way Jesus sees them and realize there's very little difference in us and them? And can we bring them into conversation about Jesus and the cross? I don't know where God showed up in your world this week. And I don't know what he's doing in your life. But I know this. Without exception, every single person that you'll see this week, every day of this week, is a person that God is interested in. And you and I have a ministry, a glorious ministry of reconciliation where we are given the opportunity to restore a relationship of friendship between God and them. But we can't do that if we don't see them as Jesus would see them. So I offer you this morning to re-evaluate how you look at people. Can you have the eyes of God?
then you see people through the glory and the majesty of the Creator. Can you look at them with all of their warts and their frailties and their idiosyncrasies and their stupidity and their bad decisions and their good decisions? Can you see them and say it is good because they are a soul who needs a Savior? We're going to sing the song together. And I invite you as we sing this song to consider your walk with Jesus. And if you're walking hand in hand, and hand, in hand with him and you're seeing people the way he sees it, then, then by all means continue to invite them into the family. But if you're seeing people just because they're people and you're seeing them just to get where you need to get to, to get what you want and to just make your life just a little bit more convenient, I challenge you to reevaluate how you look at people and see them with the eyes of God. If we can help you in any way this morning, I invite you to come let us pray with you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to make that wonderful decision today to begin on that road of friendship, to have a new life today. Be baptized, wash away your sins, call on his name so you too may see people as Jesus. Let's stand and sing this song together. Sweetly, Lord, have we heard thee calling, come, follow me. And we see where the footprints falling, lead us to thee. Footprints of Jesus.